Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Welcome to the latest episode of the Mouthy IP. Today we have the awesome Sarah Stream, Kate Tyner, and Dr. Richard Hankins. If our audience remembers, last podcast we talked about uh, about a question from an individual who got promoted. And uh, this individual is now in charge of the maintenance and testing for the water lines. Uh, we had a great conversation. And now we want to talk about what happens when water goes wrong. We do. There are a lot of different scenarios that can happen with your dental unit water lines. So we wanted to outline a couple of the most common things that could happen and um, hopefully talk through some tips and tricks on how to fix those errors. Very true, Sarah. So I think we should like propose some scenarios in which you are challenged with water going wrong. And so the first and I think probably more common instant or scenario that a person might run into is your facility has done the appropriate water quality testing and you essentially have a water quality level that fails, that is uh, higher than 500 CFUs. Um, it's not even the quality of drinking water. And so you get that result in hand, what do you do? And so you're, you're closer to practice than I am, Sarah. Talk to me about like what's going through your mind with getting that result or even who would get that result in the practice. So it, I guess it depends on the lab you use for your test, how you would get that result, whether it is like an email or they may call if you have a fail um, just to get you that information quickly. Um, but as soon as you get that information, some of the very first steps that you would do would be to shut down that operatory and don't do any more procedures in it until we can figure things out. And we wanna make sure we're notifying doctor or owner as well, so they know what's going on. I totally agree. And that like really mirrors the way we would handle like a field quality test in a hospital environment is you shut down the, the point source so we can't have it touch patients anymore. And then you involve a clinical person to start making decisions about next steps. So we assume that the provider is going to get involved, the doctor. Um, this is a person who you're going to want to be working with on your mitigation strategy. And so hopefully the owner or the dentist is as knowledgeable or if not maybe more knowledgeable than you, but a good thing to do is go back to your books, right? Your instructions for use, a troubleshooting guide, et cetera. Um, likely the step is going to be to shock, correct? Yes. Yes, that would be, um, in most cases, the next step would be to shock that system and then retest. Okay. So question, this is Kate's naivete about a dental operating facility. 
would you have a dental unit quality that points to one operatory or would it be for the whole practice? So that really depends on where you're getting your water from. Okay. So if your whole practice is plumbed from city water into the dental units and it's a city water issue, it could be all of your operatories. Okay. As far as I know, there are very few dental facilities that operate that way though. Most of them have the independent water bottles on their units. So it could be one doctor's unit in an operatory and not necessarily the assistance unit in that operatory. Okay. Um, you know, it could be some contamination in your water bottle. It could be that you forgot to um, run the shop chemicals through one of the hoses the last time you tested. You know, there are a lot of different things that could happen. So you're telling me too, and I'm going upstream a little bit on like the source of this problem. The, the importance of labeling where you got that sample, critically important, right? Because you're going to have major practice implications if that water goes wrong, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Sarah, um, so when you say water bottle, what is that? So our dental units, most of them have an independent water bottle that screws onto the unit. So every morning you would take that water bottle off of the unit, fill it up with water. We would chemically disinfect it with either the tablet or with that straw filter we talked about in the last episode. And then that is your contained water source for that unit. Okay. So running the shock, when you do that, Sarah, you're essentially treating the water on that one dental unit. Yes. Okay. So if, if you had encountered this in your practice out of an abundance of caution, you may shock other water lines in that same operatory. Yeah, probably. You wouldn't have to, but you could. Yeah. I mean, and it really depends on what, what your shocking schedule is with the chemicals that you're using in your office. You know, if it's kind of close to time to shock everything anyway, you know, right. I probably would just do that. So. so this is a point to where it would make sense to have a little quality control checklist, right? Uh, at this point, I might go back and look at the expiration date on the bottles, for example. Um, I might check uh, log books, things like that to say, when was the last shock done? Um, has the person who works in this operatory check with them, have you been doing your maintenance accordingly? Um, talk to me about what the processes are. Like literally that would be a situation as an infection preventionist where I wanna like talk to that person and not freak them out. Talk to them when they have a nice minute to talk you through it and tell me when you do these procedures, tell me how you go in order and what's been done. Um, so that would be, that helps us kind of get to a root cause of what the problem is. So we're talking about immediate control, shutting down that operatory immediate control, a shock, but then we're moving to a little bit of a root cause analysis of what went wrong. Yes. And I think the final piece of that, which would probably be very, because um, I've not heard about it um, in the news or anything like that, but at what point would the dentist or the doctor in the facility consider notifying patients as to that there's been a water quality issue? And I think at a minimum, you might look at your log books of what patients were seen to pull those records in real time of what people could have potentially sat in that chair since the last shock 
for, for example, and then maybe we would phone those people and just ask how they're doing at least. Have you had any infection complications, et cetera? And that's something that the provider, you, the water quality manager, you could really come up with questions just to talk to those people and say, how are you doing? Yeah, and we know from our last episode that there have been infections that have been traced back to water lines. Right, and they're very hard to do, right? Because a lot of these waterborne pathogens take a long time to show up as a clinical situation. Um, so, but it does make sense to, at least at a practice level, be pulling your records to try to sift that out. Um, with that, could we move to the next scenario? The I next think so. Scenario, when water goes wrong, what about a boil water advisory? Does anybody so, want to? When do public health officials call a boil water advisory? What is that? That's a good question, Kate. And I think a lot of us, at least in the Omaha area, we kind of dealt with this a couple of years ago when it flooded, right? Right. So a boil water advisory happens when the municipal water supply is not safe for human consumption. So when that happens, you know, I'm sure everybody's familiar with this in their homes. We don't use it for cooking. We don't use it for showering. We don't use it to brush our teeth, none of that. But what sorts of implications does that have on the dental practice? Right. And people wanna think that this is rare, but unfortunately it's not, especially in communities that have a lot of well water, for example, where floods and things like that really do affect the water quality quickly. Um, and these are the kind of um, emergency preparedness things that should be part of your infection control planning. Um, the first thing being, are you going to be able to see patients if you're in a boil water advisory? If you don't have a plan, I would say no. Let's not see patients today. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. And so um, the second thing with that, boil water would say, you know, um, what are the inputs into your facility of where water comes in? So you're talking about faucets for hand hygiene faucets for drinking water, um, those kind of things. And we would use those same faucets in a water bottle scenario to fill them. And if we're in a boil water advisory, it's as simple as don't fill those bottles, right? Like timeout, don't use tap water to fill the bottles. And you right. can look at what are other sources of water you could use, bottled, et cetera, to fill your dental unit water line. Yeah, and a lot of manufacturers recommend that you don't use that tap water in your dental units anyway. Right. Um, just a little, uh, little bit of Jeopardy trivia. They also recommend you don't use distilled water in those units because it can actually leach the metals out of your system and cause a whole bunch of issues, which is not infection control related, but it's still important for the longevity of your equipment. That makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. And so in a situation like this, um, I could liken it to a hospital situation where say you're going to do construction in an area and you know you're going to lose access to water, for example. And we would say we can continue to operate if we can bring in another water source, such as jugs of clean water for washing hands, providing drinking water, things like that. And so it would be possible to operate but you would have to work pretty diligently to bring those things into the practice that you could do that. So water for 
the dental units, but also some kind of water for hand washing, inpatient rinsing, things like that. Um, you can also boil the water. As the you could also boil the water. <laughs> but we're likely not in a scenario where we're going to be able to boil sufficient quantities of water and cool it and put it into your dental unit lines. Right. Yeah. Bottled water would work as well, right? Bottled Absolutely. water would work. Yes. Just not straight distilled water. We want to avoid that. Um, it always confuses me is it what distilled water is, Sarah. I'm looking it up right now as we talk. Yeah, so it's interesting distilled. you make the distinction between bottled and distilled. Yeah, so bottled water, like filtered water that you get the gas station in a bottle of water is filtered. Sometimes they add in different minerals to make it taste good. Distilled water has been heated and evaporated and they only collect the water. So it doesn't have any like particulate left in it. There are no minerals or chemicals or anything from the filtration process. But that water wants to grab onto some of those different metals and stuff as it's moving through places. So that's why it pulls those things out of your system. And I think that goes back to the point on the original call that prompted this podcast is if you are the person who is charged with um, water quality in your practice, these are good things to have in your glossary of terms for your protocol or policy of you have to spell out if, if you're in a boil water advisory, for example, what type of water will you use on what thing? Um, to your point exactly, Sarah, like what does the manufacturer tell you about if I'm not using tap water, what's appropriate? That's a time where you open the book, you find out what that is, and you put that right into your protocol. And I say the book, I mean the instructions for use. Yes. Um, we talked a little bit about water quality and there are a lot of different water filtration systems that they have that are approved for healthcare facilities and used in dental offices. Um, so I know, I know of a couple of them that hook right into municipal water and they're like reverse osmosis and very high quality filtration that will automatically run to all of your dental units and fill your sterilizers for you and keep everything like automated. Right. And when we're getting to the point of talking about things like that, Sarah, I that becomes um, topics that are above and beyond even the scope of a hospital infection preventionist that we know that the water has to be treated, but usually with your sterilizers, et cetera, you're working with a vendor who helps you manage your water quality. Um, and they can help troubleshoot when you have those RO units that feed sterilizers, et cetera, because it matters a lot, the quality of water that go into those sensitive machines um, in poor quality water will break them, will leave rust spots. Etc. Yeah. Well, that seems short and sweet, Sarah. I think it we did. answered what happens when water goes wrong. I think we did. Well, and even looking at the um, the whole office purification process, um, if they have uh, that type of unit, awesome. However, that unit also requires maintenance. And if there is a problem with that one unit, then it infects literally everything else downstream. Exactly. Water matters. Yes. Yes, it does. 
Dr. Hankins likes to look at the things that grow in water. True. Very true. <laughs> Another excellent conversation about water with our uh, noted hydrology experts and uh, how those all relate in the medical field. I want to thank Sarah Stream. Kate Tyner and Dr. Richard Hankins for another great conversation about water. Look for our upcoming next podcast where we'll answer maybe your question. Thanks. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP infection control hotline at 402 552 2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode, and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office.